As we have just sung from the song we have uttered together in our voice, through our voices, um, the Holy Spirit is the one who's able to work in us um, what we cannot do in our flesh. This morning, I want to invite you to open God's Word to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be reading from verse 16 to verse 26. Uh, for the second time, uh, the second time reading this passage in two Sundays in a row, as we look at the theme of walking by the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. I'll be reading from verse 16 to verse 26. We're continuing our sermon series to the book of Galatians, and we're taking two sermons, two Sundays to, ta- to look at this particular text because of its richness and uh, incredible usefulness for our lives as believers. The Apostle Paul says the following. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, As I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things... There is no law. And those who belong to Christ, to Christ Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you bow with me asking God to bless the preaching of his word and our hearts as we hear. Let's pray. Gracious Father, speak to our hearts. Through the word that we have just read, through the message that will be spoken, I need your Holy Spirit. And we all need your Holy Spirit to hear what you have to say. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Last week, we looked at the theme of living your freedom well. And we weren't talking so much about our physical nationalistic freedoms as citizens of this nation. We're talking about the freedom that Christ has obtained for us through his death on the cross and through his resurrection, a freedom from the guilt 
that our sins have incurred, a freedom from the bondage to sin and death. And we saw last week how the secret to living your freedom well is walking by the Spirit. But how do you do that? How are we to walk by the Spirit instead of walking by the flesh? This is what I hope to unpack today from this passage. The main point of this text will really be the outline of the, of the message this morning. Walking by the Spirit requires life by the Spirit, discernment of desires, consideration of outcomes, and concrete actions. It's a little long. Let me say it again. And this will be the outline for the message. Four points. What walking by the Spirit requires. Walking by the Spirit requires life by the Spirit, discernment of desires, consideration of outcomes, and concrete actions. Let's look at each of these as we look this morning at what it means for us to walk by the Spirit of God. Walking by the Spirit, first of all, requires life by the Spirit. That's the first point this morning. Life by the Spirit. Walking by the Spirit requires life by the Spirit. You can't walk by the Spirit if you don't have life by the Spirit. The life the Spirit brings. There are many who try to live out their spirituality, their religious experience, without first having and experiencing the new life that the Spirit of God brings. And the walking by the Spirit requires that we first have life by the Spirit. We see this in verse 25. Towards the end of our passage, Paul says, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This tells us that only those who have life by the Spirit can keep in step with the Spirit. Now, the people to whom Paul is writing this text are already Christians. Paul is writing to believers who uh, have heard the gospel. He's writing to them to encourage them to walk by the Spirit because that is how they will maintain the freedom that Christ brought them in the gospel. The list of virtues that we will look at in detail later in our message today should not be viewed as a list of moral standards to, mu- to which you must rise up in order to become a Christian. In order to become a Christian, you and I need the life that the Spirit brings. That is the first reality. That is the first prerequisite, if you will, to understanding life, walking by the Spirit, And this is the good news that we proclaim as Christians, that the Spirit of God brings new life as we hear the news about Jesus. The Spirit of God, in the simple act of hearing the news about Jesus, the Spirit of God is able to bring life. 
The news about Jesus is how God sent His Son, His eternal Son, to become human, to take on human flesh, to live as a perfect human being, perfect life, yet to be crucified on a cross as a substitute for the sins that we have committed, to pay for the guilt that we have incurred. And God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day, conquering death, proving that he had paid fully for sin. And now God calls everyone everywhere to turn away from their ignorance and from their rebellion against God and to trust in Jesus as their salvation, as the only way to be made right with God. This is the message of the gospel. And every time we declare it like we are today, right now, and every time people have an opportunity to hear these words, there is a possibility that the Holy Spirit in mysterious ways brings life to those who have been dead in sin, enables them to be convicted of their sin, enables them to hear it and understand their need for Jesus to be saved, and enables them to put their trust in Christ. Oh, my dear friends, God sent His Spirit to us so that through the proclamation of this gospel, the Spirit of God brings new life into our souls. And what we see visibly is people repenting of their sins and trusting in Christ and making their repentance and faith in Jesus public through baptism. So the first step to walk by the Spirit is to respond to the gospel by repenting of your sins, trusting in Jesus, and making that choice, that reality in you visible and public through baptism. If you have never responded to the gospel, consider today to be a day in which you publicly put your faith in Jesus. If you'd like to know more about what that means, uh, we would love to talk to you after the service. I would encourage you to talk to someone who's a believer. Talk to them more about what it means to put your faith in Christ because the first prerequisite to being able to walk by the Spirit is first to experience life from the Spirit of God as we repent and trust in Christ as our only means, our only confidence for being made right with God. If you have become a Christian, and I assume that this is the experience of many of us in this room this morning, then you have been given a new life from the Spirit of God. And, and, and some of the evidences of that new life is that you are concerned about sin in your life. And that you are desiring to pursue God's holiness, walking in His ways, not your ways. That concern is evidence of the new life of God through the Spirit dwelling in you. Since that is the case for all believers, that the Spirit of God dwells in us and we have life from the Spirit, 
The question is, how do we walk by the Spirit? So for those of us who are believers and have received the new life of God, point number two, walking by the Spirit requires discernment of desires. Walking by the Spirit requires discernment of desires. So the first point is that walking by the Spirit requires first that we have life by the Spirit. Point number two, that we discern the desires inside of us. The conflict between the Spirit and the flesh is a conflict of desires. The conflict between the Spirit of God who dwells in us and our flesh is a conflict of desires. And if we're going to walk by the Spirit, we must understand this conflict of desires inside of us. I wonder if you picked up how the beginning and end of this text shows and references desires or passions. So that in this conflict between the spirit and the flesh, it's not just abstract entities, but desires are at, at war within us. Look at verse 16 and 17 and just underline in your mind uh, or consider how often you see the word desire or passion. Verse 7, 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. Look also at verse 24. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see how often the, the notion of passion and desire shows up in this conflict between the spirit and the flesh? This tells us that the conflict between these entities is a conflict of desires. You learn to walk by the spirit when you become vigilant over the conflict of your desires. Some of your desires come from the human nature that have been corrupted by the rebellion and sin against God. Others, other desires, if you are a believer, come from the Holy Spirit that God has put to dwell inside of us, if indeed you belong to Christ. So the question is, are you aware that not all your inner desires are good desires? that some of them come from our corrupt flesh, from the nature of our being that's been corrupted. So vigilance over your desires means that you don't trust all your desires as good desires, even if they feel good. Instead, discern them. Are they stemming from your flesh or are they stemming from the Spirit of God dwelling in you? Here are some ways to do that. Ask yourself, when you see in you certain behaviors, certain actions or thoughts, ask yourself, what is the desire behind my behavior? What is the desire behind my thought? What, why is my thought always going to this issue? 
why am I acting consistently in this way? Consider what is the desire behind your behavior or your thinking. But also realize that our desires are not just a simple layer of desires. They're more like an onion, layers of desires. So ask yourself, what is the desire behind certain desires that are superficial or surface? What's a deeper desire? As, as Ariel in her testimony described to us in dealing with, with certain sin patterns, that process of self-examination, what is, what is going on in your heart that desires something so badly that causes you to feel a certain way? Frustrated at people, frustrated about relationships. Ask what is the desire behind the desires. And most importantly, ask yourself, whose desire is it? Whose desire is it? Is it the desire of your flesh? Or is it the desire of the Spirit of God living inside of you? If we are to walk by the Spirit, we must pay attention to the desires that we have inside us. We must be discerning them, discern their source. And you'll ask, well, how will I know? How will I know the source if it's coming from my flesh or if it's coming from my spirit? The answer is, look where they lead. Our desires always have a destination in mind. They always want to take you somewhere. They always have a place they want you to experience or get to. They have outcomes. And this leads us to point number three. Walking by the Spirit requires that we consider the outcomes. And here's where the contrast between the flesh, the works of the flesh, and the fruit of the Spirit shows up. The works of the flesh, Paul says, are evident. In their outcomes, we can see which desires are coming from where. Notice how verse 19 starts. Now the works of the flesh are evident. The function of this contrast between the works of the flesh in verse 19 and the fruits of the Spirit in verse 22, the, the function of this contrast is not simply to give us some do's and don'ts. The function of this contrast is to help us discern our desires. Have you ever wondered why is it that this, this list of works of the flesh and, and fruit of the Spirit shows up in the middle of this chapter in which the battle is between the desires of the flesh and the works, uh, the, 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 the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The reason, why, the, the reason why this list is there is because they have a purpose to tell us and help us discern our desires by looking at where they lead, looking what it produces. When we follow the desires of the flesh and let them be our guide, here's where they take you. Here's where they take us. 
Now, you may not be able to see your desires right away, immediately. You may not be able to discern them right away. It may be a, a messy experience of doing that inward work of examining and discerning your desires. But when you look at its works, it should become easily evident. So let's look at them. The first three works are related to sexual immorality. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. One of the first ways you can identify the source of your desires to see whether or not they're coming from the flesh or the spirit is to see how it wants to use the pleasures of your body. Our flesh, in its corruption, desires to misuse how God designed our bodies for pleasure. Friends, God made our bodies to experience pleasures of all kinds. But when sexual pleasures are pursued contrary to God's design, they become sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. A sexual immorality is a broad term that includes a wide range of behaviors that oppose God's design for our sexuality. This includes adultery, homosexuality, pornography, and really any form of misuse of these physical pleasures outside of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman. Our flesh is intent on misusing what God created good in us to oppose His goodness, His beauty, and His purity by turning these desires inwardly in selfish ways, in impure ways. The next two works of the flesh have to do not so much with physical pleasure, but they have to do with worship. Look at verse 20. Idolatry, sorcery. The desires of the flesh are set on worshiping idols. These may not be idols of stone or wood, as in ancient times. As we've heard from the testimony earlier, uh, we can make an idol of our own significance and feel dissatisfied when that idol of significance is not fulfilled in our relationships. By bringing up idolatry as a work of the flesh, we actually have here a key hint about how our flesh works and what is our flesh after in its desires against the spirit. The flesh's rebellion against God is seen in that the flesh is willing to worship anything else except God. That the flesh is willing to make anything in this creation function as a God in replace of the worship of the one true God. This is the heart of our flesh. This is the desire behind the desire. To worship anything else as God except the true God. In some cases, 
The flesh is willing to flirt even with demonic forces. And this shows us that the flesh is not opposed to spiritual things. The flesh is not opposed to spirituality. The flesh is not opposed to religion. The flesh loves to engage in religion and spirituality. And it will do it. It will do anything that opposes God, including flirting with demonic forces such as sorcery. Oh, friends, this gives us a clue and a hint. What is the heart of the flesh? False worship. It will worship anything and everything that opposes God. And that heart of false worship is boiling in our flesh. That's why we're willing to make idols of anything and everything. That's why we are open to engage in religion and spirituality of any kind, as long as it's not the spirituality and the religion that God has in His Word prescribed for us and is possible only through His Spirit. That's why you can be religious and still go to hell. You can try to, to think and act in religious terms, but if they are on your terms as opposed to God's terms, you are simply engaging in your flesh in spiritual and religious activity that has nothing to do with the one true God. The longer category of works of the flesh is given not to sexual immorality or false worship, although those are important categories. The biggest list of sins addressed or works of the flesh addressed in this list is actually relational sins. And we see this in verse 20. Look at the seven sins or works of the flesh remaining in verse 20. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions. In other words, the flesh is intent on making you work, not only to oppose God vertically, but all, it's making you work in ways that create friction and opposition horizontally as well. Enmity refers to the disposition to be hostile to someone else, having an attitude or a posture of hostility against others. When, when you harbor hostility towards others, you're acting on your desires of the flesh. It's the opposite of the call to love one another. Strife refers to starting conflicts or fights. Someone who's quarrelsome, who is quick to start a conflict. And it makes sense. When you harbor an attitude of hostility towards someone else, it's quick to begin a strife and a conflict. Jealousy refers to the intense desires used selfishly. It's also translated as selfish ambition, holding on stubbornly to your own views and unwilling to be considerate of the views or interests of others. Fits of anger. This one doesn't need much explanation, does it? We're all familiar with it. 
when we respond with anger to situations or to people, usually it is because we are acting in the desires of the flesh. Yes, there are occasional season or re, uh, opportunities or situations where we are called to have righteous anger. But the majority of the time, our fits of anger come out of sinful, fleshly desires. So the next time you respond in anger to someone, may it be in your family or in various relationships you may have, just consider in those moments you're likely acting on the desires of your flesh. Whatever it is in that moment, a desire of your flesh has been awakened, causing you to act and respond in anger. Rivalries is the, is the manifestation of strife. It refers to outbreaks of conflict. One dictionary describes this as the outbreaks of selfishness. Rivalries, outbreaks of selfishness. Husbands and wives, can you think of the last time you've had an episode of rivalry with one another? Whatever form that rivalry takes, words, tone, even looks, perhaps it's a regular rhythm in your life, in your relationships, though it shouldn't be. But when that happens, please connect the dots. You're both acting in the desires of the flesh. And then the dissensions and the divisions are two words that refer to the same reality. It's the formation of cliques, of developing a party spirit in which people begin to find their allegiance to their group in opposition to others. Seven sins that all have to do with how we behave and relate to one another. Friends, have you considered how relational challenges seem to trigger or actually be a manifestation of the fleshly desires inside of us? Relational conflict is one of the big arenas where our flesh deploys our sinful desires and makes a big mess in our lives. But the list doesn't stop here. There are three more works of the flesh mentioned. Verse 21, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and then things like these. Envy, this one is a bit different in that you can harbor envy on others and yet not show it through your actions in a visible way, at least not at first. Envy desires to have what others have and what you don't. Envy is also that grudging spirit, as someone said. Envy is that grudging spirit that cannot bear to contemplate someone else's prosperity. Envy is often the desire behind the previous seven works of the, of the flesh. Paul will come back to addressing envy in, chap, in verse 26 as one of the specific temptations for the Galatians. 
And then there's drunkenness and orgies. The use of substances in ways that cause you to lose control of yourself and thus act in all sorts of shameful ways. That's why drunkenness is linked with orgies, parties of drinking and unrestrained sexual activity. Now this list ends with a clear indication that these are not all the works of the flesh. One Bible, put, one Bible teacher put it this way, one reason why uh, this is not an exhaustive list is because the list of the works of the flesh is too long to list. These are just a sample. The works of the flesh are a real threat to our lives. They may give us the immediate gratification that we are just expressing our freedom, acting on our own desires, protecting our pleasures and pursuing them. But Paul gives us a warning at the end of verse 21. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, friends, living on the desires of the sinful flesh is dangerous for our eternity. We forfeit our inheritance to the kingdom of God. But consider that this contrast, again, is, is given here, not so much just to give us a list of don'ts, but to help us understand and consider the outcome of what the desires of our flesh take us to and lead us on. To contrast the works of the flesh, Paul gives us a sample of the fruit of the Spirit. We see this in verses 22 and 23. When we walk by the Spirit, when we allow the desires of the Spirit to rule us and to lead us, here is what the Spirit produces in us. Nine facets of the destination of the Spirit. Love, which is the opposite of hostility. It's also the opposite of envy, which desires to have what others have and you don't. At the beginning of this chapter, Paul linked love with faith. Remember in, verse, in chapter 5, verse 6, Paul said, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The love that we are called to have is a love that spurs, comes out of the faith we have placed in Jesus. It's a fruit of the Spirit of God working in us. The faith that trusts in Jesus for salvation is a faith accompanied by love. Love for God's people. Love for one another. Love even for enemies. If there's no love in our hearts for God's people, or even for our enemies, one can question whether faith is genuine. The Spirit of God produces love in us. Joy is also a fruit of the Spirit. It's a fruit that the Spirit produces in us, not circumstances. The Spirit of God inside us is not boring or affectionless. The Spirit of God produces affections in us. And one of them is joy. The Spirit of God takes what may seem boring to our flesh and cause our hearts to experience joy. Have you ever felt Bible reading to be boring? Come on, nod your head. 
I will nod it for me. Yes, I have. Have you found prayer to be pointless or unattractive? It's the flesh, the desire of the flesh. And yet there are those times when the Spirit of God comes over us and overcomes the desires of the flesh and brings joy and, and beauty in the experience of reading Scripture, of praying. And it's totally appropriate for us when we hit those moments when it's boring or, or, or feel like we don't desire to pray, to confess that, to share it with one another and say, would you pray for me? I am hitting a season when it feels like Bible reading and prayer are joyless. The fruit of the Spirit inside of us wants to bring joy even to those experiences, especially to those experiences. Peace. This does not mean that somehow in crises or difficulties we will only experience peace. Especially in times like what the people of Ukraine are going through these days, the believers there, I trust you, they do not experience peace. There's turmoil, there's, there's grieving, there's hurt, there's loss. Read the Psalms, how often God's people in distress experience what humanly speaking looks like lack of peace. Looks like anguish, pain, suffering, and lament. The peace that is, first of all, referenced here, that the Spirit of God brings, is first and foremost the peace we experience with God. So that even in the, in the turmoil and the pain of the suffering of this world, we long for this to come to an end, and we long for the peace that God can bring, God alone can bring. Peace from the condemnation of guilt that our sins have been forgiven. And out of that peace, we can experience peace, peace with believers, first and foremost. This relational peace is the exact opposite of all the seven relational sins that were mentioned in the works of the flesh. We're not surprised that there's no peace in our world. What did we expect from people who are governed by the flesh and by the desires of the flesh? We should expect nothing else. But among God's people, in churches, among those whom God has redeemed and, and bring, brought the new life of the Spirit, there should be peace among us, my dear brothers and sisters. The Spirit of God yearns in us to seek to live in peace with each other. Patience refers to the opposite of being short-tempered. We might say, it's being long-tempered. The English word is simply patience. This is what the Spirit of God produces in us when we walk by the Spirit. Longevity of our temper. Kindness refers to acting towards others in kind and helpful ways. And by the way, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul tells us that patience and kindness are a manifestation of love. This means that love is an affection that causes you to act with patience towards others and with kindness. Goodness is often used to describe the person who is generous. Generous to act towards the needs of others. 
The Spirit of God produces in us the desire to help others in need. After all, this is who God is as well as He showed us His goodness towards us when He came and to us to meet us in our need of sin, darkness, and death. Faithfulness. This word can have multiple meanings, but here it refers to being dependable, acting in ways that are trustworthy and reliable. God's faithfulness means that God is dependable. So the Spirit wants us to make dependable uh, and trustworthy in our relationship with others. When we lack the fruit of faithfulness in our lives, it is a form of selfishness. It's a form of our selfish desires brewing inside of us. Gentleness refers to acting in humble and considerate ways in treating one another. It's the opposite of harshness. One of the heart attributes of Jesus was that he was gentle and lonely in heart. So the Spirit of God wants to produce the heart of Christ in our hearts so that we too may be gentle and lonely in heart. And then the last fruit mentioned here in this list is self-control. The Spirit of God helps us not be slaves of our passions, of our feelings, especially if those feelings may be destructive towards others. The Spirit of God enables us to take control over what we experience, how we react to people or circumstances around us. For example, in order to be gentle, one must practice self-control, not to let your frustrations and emotions come out in destructive ways towards others. Uh, Self-control of our desires, self-control of our actions or words or thoughts. How do you know you're acting on the desires of the Spirit instead of the desires of the flesh? Because the Spirit will be producing this kind of fruit in our lives instead of the works of the previous list of the works of the flesh. Again, it would be easy to turn these lists in do's and don'ts, but that would not be deep enough. Think of these lists as markers on a highway. They indicate for you which destination you are going towards with your desires. They indicate for you which desires you are following or, more importantly, whose desires you're following. The list of these works of the flesh and the spirit have opposite destinations. Did you notice that? Opposite destinations. The desires of the flesh will lead you towards works that are destructive. The desires of the spirit will produce in you fruit, one fruit, uh, that is incredibly Uh, pleasing both to God and to one another. And the, the question is, on which desires are you acting? On which desires are you acting? 
And this leads us to the last point of the message. Walking by the Spirit requires concrete actions. Walking by the Spirit requires concrete actions. For the Galatians, the walking by the Spirit was deficient. Uh, Their deficiency showed up in the way they were treating one another. And this is what Paul brings up in verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I mentioned last week that the notion of being conceited refers to being desirous, again, desiring vain glory. The flesh desires to put a spotlight on you, on your needs, on your passions, on your desires, on your interests. And when that spotlight is not on yourself, either because you're not fulfilled in your desires or because others sin against you, it's natural for the flesh to fight back, for the flesh to respond back with resistance and deploying new desires and new strategies to to satisfy what you don't have. Now, friends, those desires are destructive. Those desires manifest through destructive thoughts, words, or actions. So, we provoke one another. We envy one another. I mentioned to you uh, last week uh, about several resources that we ordered here at the church that help you think through how to use your words. Um, One of the books arrived this week. It's a a book by Paul Tripp, The War of Words. I want to read to you something from the book. I encourage you, if, if this is a pattern or a battle that you are struggling with, Get this book and others that we have ordered and have available for us. Uh, Paul Tripp says the following, Keeping in step with the Spirit means speaking in ways that reflect His work in me and encourages His work in you. As an act of faith and submission, I hold my speaking up to the standard of His fruit. I look at difficult situations as God-given opportunities to see this fruit mature in me. Problems, he says, are not obstacles to the development of this fruit, but opportunities to see it grow. Walking by the Spirit, friends, calls us to take concrete actions of fighting off the desires of the flesh, of not seeking our own glory or respect or need for control. So, Take concrete actions. How? What are they? Well, start first and foremost with prayer. Ask the Spirit to work in you. And if you don't know what to ask the Spirit to work in you, take the words of the song we have sung before the sermon and just pray the lyrics of that song this week. Pray that the Spirit would help you discern what are the desires inside of you that are at war and to discern whose desires are you following in specific and concrete situations. Take God's Word. Immerse yourself in it. Ask the Spirit of God to reveal to you through the reading of Scripture and through prayer uh, how concretely the Lord calls you to act specifically in your particular circumstances. It may look different for every one of us. But start with prayer. 
go to the Word and ask the Word, to, the Spirit to use the Word to reveal what God calls you to change specifically. And then, as the Lord reveals to you the desires of the heart inside you, ask the Lord to help you turn away from those desires in concrete and specific ways. At the end of the day, if you're just making this a spiritual experience, but it leads to no action that calls you to turn specifically from evil desires to concretely good desires of the Spirit, you're just looking at this as an experience that's not going to be helpful to you. So I want to ask you, what are the desires that the Spirit of God wants to call you to turn from? For the Galatians, it was clear. It was the desires that caused relational conflict. What is it for you? I love how one Dutch theologian put it sweetly. The lordship of the Spirit brings with it the crucifixion of the flesh. The lordship of the Spirit brings with it the crucifixion of the flesh. So if you are going to walk by the Spirit, yield your life daily to the Spirit's lead. Consider what the Spirit calls you to to do and enable you to do daily in dying to your, de- to your fleshly desires. The same theologian said, for the preaching of the gospel has never meant a yielding to sin. So make war on your sin, on the desires that lead you to sin. And the freedom that Christ brought us is not freedom to live for ourselves, but freedom to live the character of Christ through the indwelling of the Spirit of Christ in us. So my dear brothers and sisters, let's walk by the Spirit. This requires first life by the Spirit, discernment of desires, consideration of outcomes, and concrete actions. May the Lord help us daily to walk by the Spirit. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for endowing us and giving to us and granting us richly your Holy Spirit to indwell in us, to lead us, to cause us to fight against the flesh and its desires. And now we ask you to do it for us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.